Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street. Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street. MrDiceGuy.com and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm. I'm Ryan. I'm Ian. And on this episode, I'm going to be talking about Archaeology, the New Expedition. Ian? I'll be talking about Kingsburg. Ryan? And I'm going to be walking like an Egyptian. Tekhenu, the obelisk of the sun. All right. Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They're the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories' amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. And welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. We're going to go straight into thinking, doing, playing. And uh, on the script, it's got me going first. So I'm going to talk about what uh, uh, my wife and I just played before we sat down to record tonight. And that's Jaipur. Um, Jaipur? Jaipur? Jaipur. I know you, you, uh, I think you love this game too a little bit. Jaipur is uh, designed by Sébastien Pochon. And um, uh, and you know what? It's Vincent Dutre. I didn't even know that was the artist. I love Vincent Dutre. Um, and it's published by Gameworks. This is um, a two-player only game. I mean, you can yay. play three-player variant. Two-player only, yay! Um, and it's basically set collecting, cashing in um, for uh, for uh, merchandise that has value. And you, uh, for the amount that you cash in, uh, as far as items of cards, if you set, you know, cash in a set of three, uh, you get a, a bonus uh, pog, a chip. Um, four and five cash in sets get their own bonus chips but basically what the premise is is um, you're trying to get the best uh, market deals I guess um, uh, through your hand with a market of five cards and with the simple and this is I mean and I was asking my wife why she likes this a lot this is one of her favorite games and uh, she said it's straightforward I can understand it we can get to playing and um, uh, she says she loves the set collecting and the, the cashing in stuff. And uh, this has that in spades. So it's one of those quick games that's best two out of three. Um, and uh, uh, Ryan, you are probably going to chime in on this one. Um, if I could ever put together a winning streak against my wife with this game, <laughs> I would be proud of myself because, uh, yeah, she pretty much she owns me on this one. Just gets all yeah. zen. Yeah, no, Jen's uh, very much the same way with this one. We we play this one quite regularly too. It's one of our favorite uh, two player only games, and yeah, yeah, it's it's good. Like it's got that really simple rule set 
Mm-hmm. Like three things to do. You either pick up one card out of the market or you pick up as many as you want, but you got to put back, right? You got to, there, there has to be something that you're giving up, right? I mean, because you can either work for sets or you can work for, and I didn't mention this too, there's uh, three general goods and there's three um, uh, rare goods like gold, rubies, and so on and so forth. So there's, I mean, like every good set collecting thing, there's the cheapies and there's the expensive ones and the cheapies are easy to get and the, you know, the expensive ones are hard to get. And uh yeah. It's a small box. It's like, you know, an under $25 game. Yeah, and you got you you have like the classic art edition, right? Not not the new art. Yeah, no, edition. I've got the 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 uh, the the, the, cla- the green well, the, box. Yeah, the the green box. That's yeah, the green, it. the green box. Yeah, that that are I like that art much superior to the uh, new art, but you can't find the green. You can't find the green art box anymore. Just because it got, just because it got, it got reprinted. Yeah. So basically, are you saying I'm, 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 I've got myself a, in the house raised unicorn? <laughs> I don't know. Probably. <laughs> Yay, Ian, have you played this? I've only played it online, but I liked it. Uh, I remember there's something about camels that yeah. I really liked. I can't remember how that worked. Yeah, because the camels aren't in your hand; they're on no. the table, and you a stable. Can use you have them. to have them in the stable, like they yeah, have a good camel. Yeah, and you you can use them to uh, for that the, the the one the trade action the swapping and you're yeah. you have a max hand of seven so sometimes you want to pull some cards out but you don't want to give some up but you can get rid of some camels just as long as you respect that how many you take out of the market is how many you put back and that your max hand is seven and just yeah. that simple balance is so cool Ian I you were you're gonna go about this. You started well, the camel talk. You finished. Yeah, no, I just I just remember liking that camel that camel uh, idea when I played it. Although I don't really remember how it goes, but no, yeah, I've only a, played it on BGA. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a solid, it's a solid two player card game. But yeah, yeah the yeah. old box. I'm looking at it now. The old box is better than the new box. Cool. The seal. Why does that approval? seem to be the case nowadays? Like almost every time they come out with new art, I don't like it. Well, well you know, everybody wants to put their spin on it, right? Do you want to get into the discussion of the new Seven <laughs> Wonders art? <laughs> that's a, that's a, t- we, we're in the think of playing doing, we're not in the oh, like, oh, right, topics right, right. of interest. We're, we're not doing topics, we're not doing topics. No, cool. So yeah, that was Jaipur um, uh, by Sebastien Pochon. And I'm probably like embarrassing myself, um, but hey, I'm having fun with it. Hmm. Um, uh, going up, batting second is Ryan. Cool. So I've been getting in a, quite a few games, and I know you guys have played this one as well. Um, we've been yeah. getting a lot of uh, games in of Point Salad, oh, uh, yeah. 20, 2019 um, release by AEG and Flat Out Games, um, designed by Molly Johnson, Robert Melvin, and oh my gosh, the third one here is Sean Stankwich. That works. Um, yeah, we we've been playing this a lot because this is like my latest installment of a game that Regan, uh, yeah. my five year old, can play, and he's really picked up on it really really quickly. And uh, Point Salad, if you haven't heard of it, it's 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 actually one of these card games where you can't believe um, no one's actually come out with a game like this before. <laughs> like it's got such a nice, tight, simple rule set, and you're like, really, no one's come up with this before. Or how come I didn't think of a game like this? But it's a really quite a neat. You got a, a market of vegetables. There's six different vegetables, but all the cards are double sided. On one side there's a vegetable, and on the other side there's a point scoring 
um, me mechanism. And so what you're either doing is you're either drafting two vegetables or you're drafting a point scoring um, the side side of the card. And yeah, you just kind of do this until all the card, you just draft these cards until they run out. And then you all of a sudden you have this tableau of vegetables and a whole bunch of ways that you can score points or possibly lose points. And yeah, you just kind of just do the math afterwards. Like I, 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 at the end I could have cabbages that are worth six points each, but Hey, my peppers are losing me two points each. But if I have a set of these as well, I can get five or eight points at, it right, works. Yeah. They have negative points too, right? Yeah. 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 Some yeah, cards have never... negative points on it, and the, you, yeah, you want to stay away from a certain certain uh, vegetable if if you're if it's a negative thing. There's one thing too that I uh, I don't know if it's a variant or if it's one of those rules, um, like like an optional thing is that on your turn instead of doing those, either taking the two cards or the point scoring card, I think you can go to your um, already selected point scoring card and flip it to a vegetable you can, side. You, you can flip it to the vegetable side. So you yeah. you can abandon your strategy halfway in if you're noticing that it ain't working because I'm competing with two other people for the or like grab, when, when Ian and I were playing. Man, I, I was making sure I was getting staying away from stuff that you guys were collecting or or the stuff that was negative values you were gonna leave alone. So that I tried to find scoring cards for that positive kind of twist or you on it. grabbed you grabbed a point card early on but then yeah. you just end up not collecting those types of vegetables yeah well because they don't they might not over. come up in the stacks and yeah 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 because based, based on player count depends on how many vegetables you actually you actually shuffle into the deck that's true yeah yeah so it's been really good Re, like for um five years old regan's picked up on the strategy really quite well oh, cool. even though he has even though he has like, no he knows now that that little sign in front of a number is a negative sign that it's bad <laughs> and that makes he's, the math teacher new happy teaching integers already <laughs> so of course he the, is. he's already he's already like into like almost multiplying so now here here's it well yeah i mean you're providing a perfect concept for him like physically in front of him does the uh like the art i really love the art because it's simple and it's and it's kind of well, i don't want to say bright cute. And vibrant yeah it's 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 visually appealing right without mm -hmm. looking like a you know a magazine ad kind of thing so yeah cool. i highly recommend point salad as like your quick like a game doesn't take very long it's like 10 minutes 15 minutes tops well ian how many like when we played the on the monday night game night how many did we crank out we played a lot. We just played over and over and over again. <laughs> and, and just kind of like, well, let's just keep playing until we think of a, a game that we want to play. And we, yeah. I think it was like four, maybe five times. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. It it was uh it was like it was like pounding a little pixie stick and you'd just get the sugar rush and go, Yeah, more. Give me another one. <laughs> I don't know if we actually played another game. I think we just played that all night. I think that was actually what happened. <laughs> to be absolutely honest, yeah. um, uh, Ian, you're uh, you're batting cleanup. Okay, and and, and uh, <clears throat> it's a cool game. I like this. I haven't seen this in a long time. Yeah, so we played Lords of Waterdeep over the weekend. Um, my buddy picked it up for four dollars. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I think the insert was wrecked or something. Everything else was fine. So yeah. Well, as long so as the components like, are okay, it's... I'm not laughing oh, yeah. at the game. I'm just laughing that it was like, give me my $2 right on. <laughs> so Lords of Waterdeep is um, kind of an entry-level worker placement game. 
And I know it gets compared to Stone Age a lot as to what's the the better of those two games to get people into it. It's got it's not quite as uh uh, it's a little bit more deterministic than Stone Age, right? Because Stone Age, you're sending all your people out to get resources, but there's no guarantee. Yeah. Because you mm-hmm. can lose them based on the dice roll. Whereas this is, you know, you go to a place and you get what's there. It's pretty straightforward that way. The big thing that this has got is that there's buildings that you can buy. And when you buy the building, they go onto the board and anybody can go to that spot now. And there's a whole bunch of better spots through those buildings. And then, of course, if it's your building, you get the bonus from it. So it's very similar to something like Kalis in that way, or Lahav even, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, this is this is very much like Kalis Light, kind of, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And the, and there's the thing with the uh, the intrigue cards too. What, what, right, what are the, the ones cards. where you get s- yeah. stuff stolen from you? Yeah, you can get you can play cards to steal things from other mm-hmm. players, or um, yeah, other, other other things like that. Like there's some there's some take that yeah and i've heard pe- some there. people say oh we just take those cards out of the game and it and that reduces that kind of knife edge of the game yes i didn't didn't really come up that much in this game but we uh <laughs> like it seems pretty straightforward you're going to a spot you're getting the resources or doing whatever it says at that spot and then you're trying to well it's a dungeons and dragons theme yeah. which is not not something i really am that interested in i think in this case resources they refer to like fighters and magic users and clerics (laughs) to do campaigns right yeah but it's it's a euro right so it's like okay black cubes and (laughs) purple cubes and orange cubes and red ones and and so you're trying to fill these quests which is basically get a certain number of cubes and then you get the points for it yeah which is nothing too extraordinary but there's a lot of like little things it throws in there that just increases the the excitement of your strategy like trying to figure out your strategy so for example the cool thing that the quests do is that once you complete one yeah you get points but there's also like little bonus rewards too so i've got a quest that needs four black cubes i'm like well that's going to take me a while yeah oh but wait a minute this other quest i have gives me a reward of four black cubes and so all that will play into your strategy and then they throw in other cool things like um I can't remember what the spot, but there's a place where you can put three people down, fit three people there. And you do something like play. Oh, yeah, you play those intrigue cards. But then at the end of the round, anybody in those three spots gets to move to an empty spot. So it's like yeah. you get a bonus turn. Yeah. And then there's like extra, extra players that you can grab that you can then steal from other people. And so there's all those little intricacies which actually make it a lot more interesting than it appears at first. Yeah. When uh, when I played it, I, I used to play the uh, the crap out of it on the app, and uh, I, I just noticed from the behavior of the app, I don't because I've one of those games where I've never really played it live, just on the app. But I noticed it's one of those uh, whoever's in the lead starts getting their uh, Achilles tendon cut kind of thing. So you don't really want to be out front because you start attracting attention for those bad intrigue cards and you get everything kind of your whole engine like you were saying that whole cascade system can just fall down real fast but again that i mean that's what i think that's what's making it such an appealing game is that there is that dynamic look look at it yeah like the top three players in this game were all well two of us tied for first and then the third place person was one point behind yeah (laughs) Yeah, the, the, this is another one like you said, Norma. I've I've played 
a ton of it on the app. <laughs> like, it, like I play, I played the crap out of it when it first came out, and yeah. it was like I got to the point where I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to play Lords of Waterdeep ever again. But I've actually would like to like play it with actual people. People, yeah. Again, rather than like you said, like that automated system where I can predict exactly how the ai is going to react and what spots are going to go to and, and that would be interesting to play with real people who aren't as predictable yeah that variability that yeah. the, that that player variability yeah <laughs> that <Yeah>. chaos <laughs> <laughs> no, like maracaibo get off I the would... gas pedal guys <laughs> yeah. cool there you go. lords of water deep this episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on 8th Street in Saskatoon. And we are back. You're listening to Cardboard Conjecture. We're going into the reviews. And Ian, I think uh, it's been a long time since uh, you've taken the taken first bat at uh, on the review list. Okay. Well, I guess I will go then. So <laughs> <laughs> I like, didn't want to catch you off guard because it's, you know. Dust off right. the notebook. Dust off the... Uh... Yep. So I thought the game that I would talk about today is a game called Kingsburg, which came out in 2007. Oh, that um, sounds about right. That sounds about right. from Z-Man Games. Uh, oh, dear. Andrea Chiarviasso and Luca... Inako. That's, that He's looking perfect, at his pronunciation dictionary. Oh, that was great. <laughs> I would say it takes about 90 minutes to play. It's a two to five player game. Um, I'm going to be talking about the second edition, which came out a few years ago. Um, I don't know that there's much difference, except this one adds some expansions. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And yeah, so there we go. I got this game maybe two years ago. Um I played it at one of the ToonCon nights, and I just really, really liked it, bought it, and it's it's a great game. So what you're doing in Kingsburg is it's a big castle game. So you're kind of building this medieval town, and you're going to build all these little buildings that will do different things, and you also have to defend the castle. So... The way that you do this is, of course, you have to collect resources like normal and you have to like build up your defense. Um, but the way that it's done is what's really neat. So everybody has three dice. So you got these nice three dice of your own color. And there's 18 action spots on the main board. And that's where you can get the building materials and all, all that other stuff. So like one, the number one spot is like the weakest spot. All you get is a single point. But then you have other spots where you can get one resource or two resource. All the way up to the 18th spot, which is like basically you get one of everything. And so it's a really it's like the best spot. So you roll your die, your dice, 
And then you have to put them somewhere on the board, right? So if you roll, let's say you roll 11 dice, all they're all 11 all together on all three of your dice. You can go for that number 11 spot, right? Or you can split it up. So you can go, well, I rolled a six and then a two and a three. So you can split it up to a five and a six or a yeah. six and then try to take the two spot and then try to take the three spot. So you can split your dice like that. And so that's where the game gets really interesting. So you the the way that you can split your dice, because the, here's the thing, is that only one person gets to go on a spot, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at the other people's dice and you're saying, hey, they also rolled an 11, what are they going to do? Or if you're like, I want to try to get this two and the three spot and look to see if anybody actually has a three on their dice and can take it from you. Yeah. And if not, well, then you leave that for later and try to get yeah. the other the other spots. And so when you do that, you get your resources or whatever else, and then you can build a building. The buildings are kind of just this little flimsy player board, and they're all set up in rows. And so you have to start at the end of your row and start building up. Right? So then your better buildings you have to kind of work towards by building up the lower mm-hmm. buildings. So the the way this works is that you're going through five years and every year has four seasons. And so it's basically four rounds of this happening. And then at the end of each season is when you get to build a building. So you'll get to build quite a few buildings throughout the game as long as you're smart about it. The splitting the dice thing is the key to this game. That's kind of the the big draw to Kingsburg, I would say. You've got lots of um, lots of choices out there, right? There's 18 different choices out there. But the dynamic of who's doing what and how can I sneak different spaces away from people, that's what really has that, you know, that juicy decision-making um, that draws you into the game. So when somebody takes a spot, uh, no, no one else can go there. Right. That's okay. right. And so, so, yeah, they can totally mess up your plans. But, of course, you still have the dice. It's, it's not very often that you can't use a dice, but that can happen, right? It can, you can come to a point where there's absolutely nothing I can do with this dice because every possible spot I can go to is blocked. So there we go. Now, at the end of the year, everybody's got to defend the castle. So you're going to have uh, a deck of cards with, you know, they could be barbarians attacking you or they even go into like zombies and stuff like that so there's these hordes that will attack you but you don't know what their strength is until the cards actually flipped over and so you got to build up your defense so you can fight them off because anybody who can help fight them off gets bonuses but if you don't then you get a penalty of some sort and those can be pretty steep like you can actually lose some of your buildings for example so there you definitely want to keep that in mind and so you'll do that five times throughout the game. And every time whoever's attacking gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. So it's not something you want to ignore. Um, I definitely did this backwards, didn't I? You guys, we should usually talk about the box and stuff first. I didn't do that. Oops. Shh. Norm's not here. I'll do that now. <laughs> uh, the box art, I would say 
the first edition kind of pops better. It's got this kind of blue background and it's basically a castle. So it's not necessarily unique. There's lots of games like that. Um, but the new ones got a castle being built. But it's all these, it's very brown. It doesn't really, it's not very eye grabbing. Yeah, I see that too here. I'm kind of taking a look and I guess this is going back on our theme that we always like, I think we tend to gravitate more to the classic yeah, art definitely. here. I, I can see what they were trying to do with the new art. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's more, it invokes the theme more because that's what you're doing is you're building the castle and the buildings around the castle, but it is a little blander. Hey, yeah. <laughs> um, but the art otherwise is strong. Like the boards got, got really good art and, and all the different spaces and everything. It's very clear. The graphic design, the icons and everything are very clear. Uh, your build, everybody's player building sheet is, I mean, it's a flimsy sheet. It's not like a board, right? It's not like everybody has a player board. And basically all you do is you put little tokens down to show that you've built a building or not. Which, you know, is pretty plain. Um, yeah, we, we but we see that in game after game now. With the, right. the 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 player boards aren't very like, they're always that 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 flimsy cardstock. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We see that quite often. Yeah, and that's the case here. Uh, there are a lot of expansions in the box. I think there's like five different expansions. I have not played with them because we just haven't found it necessary. Well, that's not true. Um, <laughs> The, the player board is double-sided, and I guess technically the, the other side is the one of the expansion boards because yeah. it's got more rows than the other side. And so we always play with that because more rows is, is, is better. It's always better. Yeah. <laughs> more options. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, the rows themselves are kind of like lead your strategy, right? Yeah. So there's, there's one row that will, if, if you keep going in that row, you're going to get lots of gold throughout the game, which is going to help you build a lot of other stuff. Or you've got other rows that will build up your defense really well, so you don't have to worry so much at the end of the year. So picking which row you're going to go to is really good for strategy. Well, and what I like tactically too, like you were saying, is that you can see everybody else's dice on, you know, when they roll it, where the options are. So you can, every round, you're, you're tactically trying to find the most efficient way to maximize your player board like right. the decisions that you've made and and i think that's what i like a lot about this game is that sometimes your dice rolls or sometimes the player order put you in a position where it's like i'm i bet either i'm either have to go all in or i i'm i can't piecemeal anything together right right yep and then if you do something like that how how uh how much of a, a, a seesaw happens with everybody else's tactical choices right after you're going, oh man, I didn't know you were going to go for, th oh, that, right? You just see that in that one eye twitch, just all yep. that kind of, why did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, the dice is definitely the unique mechanism, but I also like picking your buildings, what buildings you're going to do. Mm -hmm. And I always go for one row and then just max, I do my best to max out that row. I go all the way to the end. Min-maxer. All right. Yeah. And I never, like, I always try a different row every game I play. I want something different, but I always go to the end. Just because they're pretty awesome bonuses when you get to those last couple of buildings <laughs> on the row. And so if you can utilize them. But they're, they're all tantalizing, though. They are. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Yep. Yeah. So 
yeah, I really like how the how the dice restricts your decisions, but I think that makes them more interesting. And the fact that you can split your dice or not, yeah, is also makes it very interesting. So how um, many how many dice do you get? You get three. You get three. Okay. Right. So eighteen, because eighteen is the highest you can yeah. get. Okay. Yeah. But you can get a little two modif two plus or minus modifiers. So like if you've got these little modifier tokens, you can add two to that or subtract two from that. Um, which are part of that whole resource structure because those right. those mitigation points the, those are so awesome. Yeah. Now, yeah. Yeah. You do. You collect them like resources. Though, yeah. Right. So you you have to use them and spend them like that too. Um, I think this works at all player counts. I'm trying to remember what's the highest I've played. I'm pretty sure I've played with a full five players. Like I don't, there's, it works for all of them. Cool. The two player one, the only real adjustment you have to make is that you roll a third set of dice, which just blocks um, spaces, right? Yeah. Which isn't, because I hate dummy players in two player games. It's not really that. It's just basically a space blocker. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. They like what they do in Zulkin. And it changes yeah. every yeah, season too. Yeah. Right. It's not like so, it's locked in for the whole game. So that's another one of those kind of variable tactics that you have to work on. Yeah. So yeah, two player works great. Three, four, five player. I think it's all it's all pretty awesome. Um, I do not cannot read my writing here. Uh, <laughs> or oh, or, please, oh, or do you need glasses, in. man? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah, it's staying so in. It's staying in. <laughs> So the race for the spaces and trying to figure out each other's dice, that's really fun. I really like that. Um, it makes that it makes it different than other like dice action games like Castles of Burgundy or Marco Polo because you're really trying to figure out where the other players are going to do with their dice. And the fact that you've got three of them um, provides a whole bunch of options, right? I think I kind of like can't stop where you have the four dice. But you split them, and so you kind of think about what are all the options yeah. and the ways I can split them. This kind of has that same that same idea as well. I'm pretty sure a math guy has a word for that. <laughs> <laughs> How many different ways can these three dice be used? Are you talking about? Because I'm talking about I'm teaching about permutations right now. That's right. Yeah. So Kingsburg, I think it's a, a really solid game. Um, if you're okay with dice, because not everybody is like I have, I have a couple of friends who aren't really a big fan of this just because they really don't like the randomness of dice. Um, but they're gorgeous dice though. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think the dice is what makes it interesting. So, uh, yeah, I really recommend Kingsburg and yeah. What Great shelf game. are you? What shelf would you put it on? Yeah, you know what? I might go top shelf for this one. <gasps> oh, so. Ooh, one of those nice. rare top shelf yeah. games from oh. Ian. Dusting off a spot for it too, probably. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so this one's like one of those. Like, was this was this like? Would you say this is like one of the original ones that kind of used dice as kind of like the workers or like the dice as the way to take a action? It definitely seems like that. Like two thousand seven is. Pretty really? early. I don't. I can't think of anything. That's like prehistory for modern board games, isn't it? <laughs> it's like antiquity. But, I, but I'm trying. I'm trying to think of like games before then that used dice in in like that regard. Like I using yeah, dice I think I recall a lot of the, 
a lot of the reviewers in the past, when I was starting to absorb a lot of stuff, say that this was one of the first of its kind, I believe. Yeah. Or if it definitely. if it wasn't if it wasn't the first, it was like the first one they do it well. Good thing we got conjecture in the title, that, that, hey? Yep, that's that's exactly <laughs> what I'm doing right here. This episode is proudly supported by Mr. Dice Guy online board game retailer located right here in Saskatoon. Mr. Dice Guy is always stocking the hot new titles, as well as restocking all-time favorites. They even have a ding and dent section for previously played titles. They offer free shipping across Canada on all orders over $200 or free local pickup if you're in the Saskatoon area. Check them out at MrDiceGuy.com. Saskatoon's Mr. Nice Guy is Mr. Dice Guy. Cool. Um, uh, I'm gonna, I'll pop in next and, uh, and uh, continue the reviews. Um, I'm going to review uh, one of, I think, one of all of our favorite designers. I'm going to review Archaeology, the new expedition. That was a subtitle, Ian. Uh, designed by <laughs> Phil Walker-Harding, published by Z-Man Games in 2016. It's two to five players, plays approximately 20 minutes, and I believe that is an accurate kind mm -hmm. of-ish thing, depending yep. on max, you know, your player count. Uh, considered to be a light card game. Uh, and uh, I agree. And that doesn't demean at all the fact that it's like, hey, it's a late card game, so it doesn't get the same clout or, you know, bravado as the, you know, the barrage or something. So um, overview and the nuts and bolts. So according to uh, the games overview, um, you are an archaeologist working the dig sites of the Egyptian desert. Search for the right pieces to complete torn parchments. Uh, broken pots and other priceless artifacts. Explore an ancient pyramid in the hope of uncovering a huge stash of treasure. Trade shrewdly at the local marketplace to increase the value of your collection. Sell your treasures to the museum at just the right time for maximum profit. But beware, the desert also has its dangers. A devastating sandstorm can throw your expedition into disarray, and cunning thieves lurk around the dig site ready to steal your prized discovery. In Archaeology, the New Expedition, that was the subtitle, you want the f uh, to find treasures and make the most money possible by selling them to the museum. Players start with four treasure cards in hand. One monument tile is chosen at random. Then the chambers of the monuments are loaded with uh, secretly selected treasure cards. On a turn, a player digs for treasure by drawing from the deck. If they find treasure, they don't show anyone and keep it. If they find a thief, they steal a card at random from an opponent. And if they find a sandstorm, all players lose half of their cards in their hand to the marketplace, which starts the game with five face-up cards. Each player has a tent card that they can discard to avoid the effects of the sandstorm. And then it's done. A one and done. After digging, which is basically the first thing you do is you pull a card, you dig. Uh, you discard one or more maps to explore one of the chambers of the monument, which is the side secret uh, 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 changing variable. And I'll get into that later. Uh, you can either trade at the marketplace by laying down one or more treasure cards and picking up cards with equal value or less trading value. And you can do that as many times as you want. Going to the monuments, you can only do once per turn. Um, and then the last thing you can do is you can sell to your museum by placing sets of treasure cards in front of you in your own tableau. 
Uh, in general, the more, uh, like in any good game, like the Ticket to Ride set collecting, the small sets give you small points. The big sets give you big points. Um, and uh, so players can explore, um, uh, as I said, players can explore the monuments only once. Um, and so let's get straight to the sum. So that was the overview. Summizing it for me. Archaeology is a fast-paced, card-drafting, set-collection card game spiced with a good bit of push-your-luck. Decisions like, can you judge what the other players are holding? Uh, are they after the same open market goods that are available to everyone? <laughs> Sorry, did Do, you, Ryan, did you hear the rock in your head when he said that? <laughs> can you judge what the other players are holding <laughs> do you risk waiting another round or do you try to uh, push your luck and uh, be the first to discard your map cards to gain access to the treasures of the big dig uh, or do you hang on to your cards to be do a large set cash in and running the risk of getting hit by a sandstorm now the I think with the sandstorm, because right away everyone's like, oh, I hate, you know, losing your hand. You get to choose which cards you lose. So um, you get to retain, you know, the you get to, you know, make a yep. ranking list of what you're hanging on to. So, yeah, but uh, I don't want to. I don't want to lose some of those. I don't want to use any of those cards. I know that happens. And so basically I, I came down to one synthesis is this game's about small decisions that turn into big consequences. Um, so straight to opinions, I, I, you could probably have a sense because it's in my collection that, that I have an opinion about it. So, uh, outside in, it's a, one of those Z-Man, I think there's a series that Arboretum, I think Parade is in that series that you, we played. Um, it's, it's that Z-Man small box card game series that is so cool. Um, uh, it has a vintage, uh, um, like the the art itself has this, and I don't want to say Indiana Jones esque, but that's every time you look at that, it's got those browns, those desert, the, everything sings um, that theme and that uh, that kind of nineteen fifties era. No, no, we are, we're talking about new expedition because this was a real implementation yeah. of archaeology, the card game, which I just looked up at the old art. I think this is the one case, one of those cases where I think I like the new. I was Cause, yeah, because that because that old art is it it does look, but it, it does look very vintage. Yeah, but All right, I, I'll but, take a look. <laughs> <laughs> well, you take a look. I'm going to continue because the components. It's easy. It's a card game, right? Um, the only other chunky cardboard is the monument tiles, and uh, you get five different monuments, and each monument has a different way that you stack those treasure cards in. Some are. Uh, you know, first come gets uh, if you if you hand in three map cards, you can get uh, eight cards or two map cards will give you five not map cards, uh, treasure cards. Right. So that's I think what I'll get back to uh, the, the monument tiles when I talk about the game's uniqueness. Right. Um, the icons and graphics are excellent um, in a game like this. That's straightforward. You want to make sure that it's. There's, there's no visual contrast issues where you're having difficulties de uh, determining foreground to background. So there's none of that. It's very, uh, um, as far as eye, there's zero eye fatigue, right, in regards to um, reading the cards and, and uh, making quick decisions. Um, and and the art on the cards, like the, the box, that it just rings through thematically that whole 1950s, uh, I, I hope that we don't have to pay royalties to anybody every time we say Indiana Jones. 
<laughs> if I say it one more time, is Beetlejuice going to show up? Okay. Uh, so the rule book, um, it reads great. Logical flow to the instructions, uh, well formatted, uh, lends itself to easy reference. The negative I have about it, and I mean, it's one of a negative because of circumstance, I get it, is that it's a small rule book in a small box, but they still want to try and communicate everything they need to. So there's a lot of... Cl not cluttered text, but it's crammed, right? It it looks it looks like an assignment that was done by a kid who was trying to get it in all on one page. <laughs> <laughs> if that makes any sense whatsoever to anybody else. Well, 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 to teachers it does. Yeah, everybody like, oh, that's I'm red. Where's my red marker? All right, um, game system, game style. Uh, it's uh, it's ticket to ride simple. I hope that is, we can use that general term, right? Um, uh, you're to all teach. about the set collecting yeah to teach to play uh, there's nothing that gets in the way of you getting straight into this game fast and and playing it like quickly um, this game system does a good job at mitigating the randomness I am I mean I I grew up playing a lot of risk and hating a lot of the dice results right I mean you could do everything you wanted to but sometimes the dice would be like guess what you suck um, this case, I don't mind the card randomness because uh, random card at the start of the turn, but you have a market that you can use it to either upgrade, downgrade, or tr trade straight across for what you're collecting in your hand. Uh, random treasures at the monuments, um, sometimes the map set trade-ins, you, you get to choose what you want to pull out of your treasures. So there's mitigation there. Uh, now, when the thief comes out, um, you get to steal... Like instead of losing your, you know, your dig card, you basically have your thief go and randomly pull a card out of somebody else's hand. That's the only take that that's in the game. And it's not really excessive, right? It's kind of like a little pinch in the back of the arm kind of thing. Um, uh, the random sandstorms, um, you can mitigate it by you choosing which cards you're going to lose. Or you have that one time... Uh, use your tent card. I mean, thematically, it's everybody runs into the tent and, you know, save the goods kind of thing. And then it's done, right? Um, so you, the randomness is there, but the randomness can be dealt with properly, I think. Uh, it's a great, I love the push your luck in it. Um, that whole idea of how long do I wait for what's in the market? Or do, you know, it's like it's like uh, Texas Hold'em poker face. When you see somebody put a card in the market that you like, I just need that other thing to complete the set, but I don't want to be like, yoo-hoo, and then have the person on my right just, you know, hate draft it from me. Um, the whole waiting, pushing your luck on the sandstorm, uh, the idea of, it's like, I want to get a map card to get at the treasure because what am I missing out? That whole FOMO thing. Um, that all works well to the push your luck in this very simple, light card game. Unique mechanisms. Um, the, uh, the, the treasure, the, tr the monument stuff is, is unique, but it's, I mean, you've seen people sub in, you know, the, the, the special, you know, the special, uh, uh, venue cards before but i think that uniqueness in this one is that uh and i hope we don't have to pay royalties to the gene simmons because i'm going to use the th the kiss theory which is keep it simple <clears throat> silly because i want to say the other word because my kids don't like that word um but yeah keep it simple silly uh this game is built on intuitive ideas of collecting things of value everybody has grown up learning how to collect things Pokemon cards, hockey cards, baseball cards, and they know the value and they know that this is worth twice of that, right? We have that built into our, 
our, our you know, childhood code kind of thing. Um, does this all connect? I think it does a wonderful job of tapping into that, um, that children's DNA of, of, I mean, I could go way back and talk about, you know, marbles, but I think I'd be aging myself. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was <laughs> I funny. got a cat's eye, man. That I got a steely. Yeah. I got a red steely. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I think I, we've just lost half our viewers. Um, <laughs> is this a PBS show or what the heck? Um, so, yeah, I mean, this game is just so much fun. And uh, my conclusion is I like the game a lot, right? Um, it's it's one of those perfect card games, plays fast. You can play repeatedly, like, uh, like Ryan, you had mentioned with Point Salad. I don't know if it's that fast, but... Um, it does have it does have some some great fun adrenaline push your luck decisions in it, and uh, I'd highly recommend it to anybody because it's a, it's it's not an expensive game to buy. I mean, if you if you play it three times, you've, it's paid for itself, right? I like to use the movie theory. It's like going to the movie twice, mm-hmm. right? So. Um, where does this sit? This sits on t- on my top shelf of my small game shelf collection. <laughs> Ooh, subcategory. Yeah, because I mean, I'm not gonna put this right beside Lahav, right? Because it's like, you know, that's like pulling up a, you know, an Austin Mini next to a tractor trailer. <laughs> They're both awesome, right? <laughs> so, but yeah, I would highly recommend the, um, this game. And I know, I know, I think I know that that at least Ryan's played this game. No, oh, yeah, have, this is th- yeah. This one's in my. Uh, I keep this one in my card game quiver, uh, for when we go to like when we go to the lake or we just go when we go to different places when we used to go to different places. <laughs> <laughs> when we used to go outside, yeah, so playing no, marbles. Yeah, but yeah, the, uh, archaeology is a it's a it's a fantastic game. Again, shows testament that Phil Walker Harding knows how to design a nice light. Uh, family-friendly type of type of game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's all about the set. He's all about the set collecting because yeah. I would put this in the same weight category as like a sushi go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, well, the um, sushi go for me is just just one straight up card draft. This to me, this has so many cool little you know twists and turns down the different alleys kind of thing. Ian, have you had the opportunity to play this game? I think I played it once. I think I played it with Ryan once. And it um, was that memorable? I no, I remember I did like it. <laughs> did you feel like you were an archaeologist? <laughs> well, there you know a couple times you're just sitting there with your handful of cards waiting for your turn going dun 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 dun. <laughs> Wait, that was under 10 seconds so we don't we're not going to get sued. All right. So that was archaeology. This episode is proudly supported by the amazing team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge right here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escape's escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team, ensuring their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. Ryan, you want to close out this whole review thing? 
Yeah, I feel like I'm like the odd man out here because you guys talked about two quite like a light and a medium light, medium heavy. And now I'm going to go like heavy. I feel like the weight of the shoulders, weight of the Double world kick on drum. my shoulders. Double kick drum, heavy metal. Duck, 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 duck. So, so I'm going to be talking about, um, I recently got Tekenu. I guess not recently anymore. It's been a while since I've had this now. Um, Tekenu is the, is the new 2020 release by Daniel Tassini and David Turksey, published by Board and Dice. And if those designers sound familiar, it's because Daniel Tassini is also on the design team of a recently reviewed game of Teo to Huacan. <laughs> oh, Tom's going to get on me now on this one. Um, but this is another one of Daniel Tassini's, we're going to call them the quote unquote T games. Seems like every one of these big box games of his is kind of coming out. It has like some sort of a T. And he's got another one coming out, just coming uh, soon. I can't even remember what the name of that one is. Oh, boy. Okay. So let's take a look at <laughs> Tekenu. It says, Four millennia ago, on the eastern bank of the Nile River, was laid the foundation of the Temple of Amun-Ra. Over the course of 2,000 years, the temple complex was gradually expanded and became widely known as the most select of places boasting the largest religious building in the world. Today, the site known as Karnak, located at Luxor in the modern-day Egypt. Join ancient pharaohs in creating and growing one of the most impressive sites the world has ever seen, honoring the Egyptian gods Horus, Ra, Hathor, Bastet, Thoth, and Osiris. You must carefully manage the balance of your actions, preparing for the reckoning of the goddess Mat. So the game board in Tekanu, Obelisk of the Sun, it's got a subtitle there, Ian, <laughs> is divided into six sections. <laughs> each associated, So those six sections are each associated with a, an Egyptian god, uh, the, the ones that I just listed. Um, in the center stands uh, an impressive obelisk known as a Tekenu that casts its shadow over the different parts of the game board. And as a result, the area around the obelisk is divided into sunny, shaded and dark sections depending on how the obelisk is um, casting its shadow at a particular moment you're going to rotate it um, as the game progresses the sun's rotation there you alters which sections are labeled as sunny shaded or dark so and uh, that that's going to come important here so this is one of those another really big complex games that has a whole bunch of interconnected pieces and there's it's just i put in here it's complexity for the sake of making the game complex, it seems. <laughs> so I'm going to try here to describe, um, at its heart, this game is that dice drafting, uh, have a dice drafting mechanic. So there's five different types of dice. Um, oh gosh, now I'm going to have the black, gray, yellow, white, and brown. There's five different types. And what you're going to do is you're going to roll these dice, depending on how many players there are, uh, and then you're going to assign them around the obelisk. And depending on if it's a sunny, shaded, or dark area, we'll determine where this these dice get placed because these dice are going to get placed in what are referred to as like a light zone, a tainted zone, and a forbidden zone. And that's going to make sense in a little bit because when I draft a dice, what I'm going to have to really do is I'm going to have to pay attention to the color and the pip value of each of those dice. The pip value is going to determine the kind of like the power of the action. And 
depending on which action you're going to take, uh, it'll, 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 it'll do something. Um, but you have to pay attention to whether you've drafted it from a light side or a tainted side. And because when I take the dice, let's say if I take it from the tainted side on my player board, I have to, what did I do? <laughs> what I have to do here is I have to put it on my player board and I have to put it in the tainted zone. And whether or not I have to, when I draft my dice, I have to keep, keep my pure and my tainted dice balanced. Okay, so based on after you've drafted four dice, you have to check the balance of your scale, whether or not you've taken it to, from, from the light and the dark sides. Um, when you, this is going to uh, keep in mind that this is, you're going to have to keep these in balance because that's the player who has the most balance between the dice that they've drafted um, is going to determine the turn order for the subsequent rounds. So it's kind of an interesting take on the dice drafting um, mechanic. Okay, let's talk about the um, let's talk about the, the different actions. The six different actions there are are there's a zone where you can just build sections to a temple. So you pay resources, you build a temp, you build into the temple. Um, there's the temple action, which you can just build buildings around the edge of the temple, and that's going to give you some resources and maybe some points. Um, there is the um, statue action. We, every player's got these little statues that you can build, and then you place them out on the board. And they're kind of like those things where you place the statue in an action section. Now, if somebody else takes that action, you get some sort of bonus or benefit to it. Then there is the lower section here. I'm just trying to picture it here is the quarries. And that's kind of like an area control place where if you have a majority in the columns, you get some bonus points during scoring. And then there's the tech, uh, the tech track. And what it is, is just a, it's a whole, it's a big row of cards that you can end up drafting if you take, um, if you spend some resources down in that area. But you can only take cards from a certain section where you're, now there's another thing that you keep track of is your population and your happiness. If your happiness is at a certain level, will determine which cards you can, you can draft. And these cards do different things, like they're, um, ongoing bonuses like if i take this certain action i score some points and get a resource or you get some one-time benefits but the most important cards that you want to draft are these decree cards which gives you and only you an end of game scoring opportunity so it's kind of an end of the game scoring bonus okay i can see uh, what you mean by complexity for complexity's <laughs> sake i was just yeah, thinking there's a lot going thing. on there that's a lot of woven things and, woven and, together and what all I've done is just giving you just the brief that that was brief of what's, of what's going on here. Okay. Let's pick, let's pick but it up. They've never the, been accused of making anything light though. But I do have to make sure that Ian knows this, that it's the most points wins this game. You're sure. <laughs> okay. okay. So I'm going to go into my opinions cause I've got a few of them about this game. All right. So, um, here we go. Box standard, big box, Euro ticket to ride style. Um, nice Egyptian style art on, on, on the, uh, on the box and across the layout, it's got that really vintage, um, Egyptian style art and the kind of like what you would see in a, can I say it here? A norm, an Indiana Jones movie or something <gasps> like that. <laughs> um, you get a million, what seems like a million little cardboard chits as for the track, all of your resources in this game. Um, <laughs> 
but my one complaint was that the game does not give you any little baggies to sort the game into. So Is this one of those get... don't bump the table games? Not really. Okay. Um, it's just that there's there's so many of these little resource chits, but when you want to go pack the game up afterwards, they, they didn't give you anything to oh. sort these chips into. So luckily I have a stash of baggies from like just left over from other games and everything so that I could organize things a little bit but uh <laughs> yeah you, you get a lot of them so just know mm. that there have some baggies on hand if you are going to pick this one up that's a weird decision which is because all the other board and dice games that i've gotten like um teotihuacan and uh zolkin and stuff like that they have um they've always included bags in in all of their games now, the big talking piece about this particular game is going to be the massive obelisk, quote-unquote, miniature that you get in this game. And it's very, very aesthetically pleasing. So it makes the table pop. It's going to be a talking piece when somebody passes by this game and there's this gigantic obelisk. Except for it has absolutely no gameplay purpose whatsoever. <laughs> it it actually it actually it for for most people and me included it actually gets in the way of seeing if you're seated opposite of uh, on one side of the obelisk you can't really see what's on the other side of the obelisk it's very it's it's you, you have to kind of like you have to like reach around and you have to kind of like pivot or stand up and look over it, but it didn't it you just, say that the dice were like based on like shaded areas and stuff wouldn't that have something to do with it yeah, so like the um, when when the obelisk, well, because the shaded regions are just this this little circle that the obelisk sits on, and when you turn it, the it's really the circle. So there's no physical shade concept. No, it's just zones, a rotating zone yeah. kind of thing. Okay. All right. Well, second edition then they got to make like this <laughs> rotating light. Source. You just use your the light from your phone, man. Yeah, just, there you yeah. go. The, 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 make it work, know. Ryan. You got to make it work. We, we just... Okay, okay, uh, okay. I got, I got. I guess I got to just got to try harder. And then Expansion set up like idea. mirrors on the other side so that you can see what's behind it. Just set up a mirror system. <laughs> You'll be golden. <laughs> so that's a big talking point that people don't like. That people like the big obelisk, but it doesn't like actually serve any game purpose. Well, not okay. yet, but we just fixed that. But we we did okay. We did take take note, board and dice. There you go. Okay, you get player boards. Very nice. They're dual layered, but they're only dual layered for tracking your resource production, which is something that I didn't actually get into. The other thing you can do with a dice is you can take that dice, and whatever color it is, it'll just produce that many resources uh, for you. Oh. And your how many resources you produce depends on what your production level is. And so you got a little cube, and it's dual layered in those sections. But the other sections of your player board that hold your buildings and your statues, those aren't dual layered. So they just kind of get knocked around all over the place all the time, at least for me, because I'm clumsy. <laughs> so I thought it was a really kind of interesting um, production point where you made a part of your player board recessed, but the other parts not recessed. So it was kind of, I don't know, I, I just thought that was kind of odd. Um, rule book. Okay, I've gotten the notes that it's a good rule book, but analyzing it again, I'm not really sure that it was laid out properly. Like, I don't have any questions about reading the rule book, but this is kind of like the flow of the rule book. It'll just give you, hey, this is what you do on a turn. 
Mm-hmm. So they give you a synopsis of how to do your turn. But then later in the rule book, it'll actually go into all of the different actions in like super lengthy detail. Oh, no, so that's got to be sure. connected together for me. So, yeah. so you get the structure of the turn laid out in a couple pages. And then after those couple pages, then you got the breakdown of all of the different actions and the complexity of the different actions afterwards. And then at the end, then there's the, the, the glossary of like, hey, there's an explanation of all the technology cards and whatnot. Um, so I don't know. I thought it was kind of like an interesting, but if you re- do read it, like if you want to find out what a certain action, like what are the steps to a particular action, you can actually just go to that section of the rule book. It's kind mm-hmm. of nice in that regard, but it is, it is kind of choppy. So it's so, an average rule book, but a good reference book. I would say so. It, 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 does, it does explain everything in there. You just kind of have to know where to find it. Okay, cool. Okay, I'm going to get into the gameplay here. Um, I like dice drafting. Okay, I like dice drafting games. Um, a few interesting decisions need to be made what, uh, like by what the game is designed to make you focus on in this game. It, uh, is the is the balancing of your dice so that was a big thing that they always kind of really focus on is like hey when you draft a dice from the light zone or a dark zone it's got to go onto the light side or the dark side of your player board and you got to keep that in balance except for okay if i don't keep it in balance this thing that you told me that i should focus on you're not really punished for it mm. like you're 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 punished for being too dark like you'll lose victory points if you are too dark, but you're not punished if you're like too good in that re- in in that respect. So I I don't know where I, I I'm on that. Like the the whole so focus is like, hey, you got to keep these things in balance. But I don't feel and the, even the being punished for being too dark, like you're not losing a ton of victory points for being for for being like way way off uh, way off the scale. So I th- I thought I thought. It was a, an interesting design choice of not punishing the players enough other than just giving up turn order, which I haven't found it being a, a big factor. It was, uh, it was turn order mm. in, in, in this game. So um, kind of interesting in that regard. Um, now for me, I'll have to preface this though, that I've only played this game solo and with two players. So all my, all my thoughts here are just on solo and two-player mode. It really felt that this game, there was only two major ways to score points in like everything that you have to do. Um, there's only there's only um, certain ways. The one is that the majority in the quarries. So when you have like that little area control piece, that's where you can get a lot of points by dominating the four the four columns there. And also these decree cards. You need to get these end of game scoring cards because if you do not get one or if you do not get multiple of them, um, you are out of the game. Like it, it, they're that they're that um, game changing. Wow. So so there are other ways like you can like like we always throw out the term nickel and diming. You can nickel and dime points from like you know getting a technology card that gives me two points every time I do this or some yeah. a lot of those different things. Um, building the pieces of the temple you get some points for doing that you can nickel and dime all all you want but most of the time everyone else is also getting those points by doing something as well so really the big big things is during the scoring phases is having a majority in those um in that quarry and getting those end of game scoring cards cool that that that's what i that's how i felt in a two-player game and in a solo game 
um, it's probably a little bit more competitive in across the other player counts. In essence, you get 16 turns in this game. You know, so it's, so it's, a, it's deterministic on how many times you're going to get to draft a dice in this game. You're only going to get the draft 16 dice. You do not want many of those turns just to take a dice to produce some resources. Because I found that at, at most what you want to do is you want to only want to do this maybe two times in a game. Mm-hmm. Because if I have to spend a whole action just to generate some resources so I can do some things you're losing out because your opponent's going to be actually still doing probably something. And if they've planned well enough, they, they've got their resources or they've got some sort of resource generation. Sounds like there's um, an efficiency actions. model going in here. And that's really going to come around to those statues. Yeah. Um, you want to get those statues built because they're the ones where, hey, if somebody else takes that action, I'm going to get probably a resource or I'm going to get something while, while those other people are taking actions. So that I don't have to use a turn to produce resources. The gameplay I felt had decent flow to it. It's clear which actions are are linked together to explore strategies. So like um, getting the yellow resource, I can't can't remember, I think it's Papyrus. Um, If you click the yellow resource, what you use the yellow resource to do is to go up on the technology track and being able to claim those decree cards. I find that that's a really good strategy to do, just to try to get all these end-of-game scoring cards. Cool. Um, on that note, there looks like there's a there there looks on this game. There looks like there's a lot of variability, but every game that we've played, like I've played this now five times, um, three solos, two two players. I just felt like I kept doing the same thing all the time. Kind of running a script kind of thing? Yeah, I don't know. It's probably just me, but I just get locked into just pursuing those, what I found were the major scoring opportunities. I wanted to try to explore anything, but I felt like, well, no. Like I just felt like if I did those things over there, um, I'm going to do way better in this game than trying to explore this other strategy. Mm-hmm. I, I just felt that way. Now, this is could probably good change in a three- or four-player game where there's more competitiveness um, more jockeying for that turn order, more competition in the area majority, more competition over the dice. I, I, I really feel that way that that's, that, that could be the case. Um, so yeah, so that, that this is all conjecture really based off of a solo play and a two player in my two player, um, experiences. But they're still your experiences though. Yeah, so I wouldn't be I wouldn't be if you want to say oh I'm only gonna play this with two player I I don't think that this is like not not like his other games yeah like Teotihuacan is really good at two player, Zolkin is very good at two player, this one I don't think is very good at two player okay it, it, uh, compared to those uh, the other T games okay, so in my conclusions for this one, like I really like Danielle Tassini's designs I, re- I really really do but this one is kind of i got i think i got over excited for this one because this one fell flat mm-hmm. on, on on my expectations the dice drafting is very cool and different um you have to maintain that trying to maintain that balance but again i was disappointed that the not keeping things in balance was not punishing enough okay um because because they they really do they they, they focus a they, oh yeah the balance is the thing that keeps the turn order um, and stuff like that. Turn order is very important in this game, and I just we I just didn't I just didn't feel that way. Having only sixteen turns in a game, there there there's there's no room to change your strategy like some of these other games. No pivot no pivot movement. 
there's no, room, there's no I mean, pivot. Yeah. yeah, there's no pivot moments. Um, That's this, an this interesting is, point. This, this is actually true in some of his other designs, or <clears throat> some of the other designs, but this one felt very much more restricting. Um, like like but like good strategy games, you want to focus on a strat, you want to pick a yeah. strategy, you want to follow through with it. But sometimes you have to have that moment where it's like, okay, um, I really don't think this one's going to run its course with this one. You're kind of locked into that. There, there's going to be next to no room for you to actually, um, uh, like we said, like like pivot. Yeah. And I don't feel that's the case in something like Zolkin. Like Zolkin, you feel a little bit freer to, to change course, hey? Yes. Like sometimes yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be, but then I can change from like my corn strategy. Like, oh, I'm done collecting corn now. I can now f- go and focus on um, other, other things. Whatever. Work on different yeah. phases of the game rather than right. here's yeah. the ultimate end, end game goal. And that's my only uh, formula. And if yeah. you're getting locked in, like you say, like if you feel like you're getting locked into those turns, I can see why you're feeling like you're doing the same thing every game too. And yeah. See where that's coming from. Yeah, the key for me was to focus on those major scoring opportunities and yeah. maximize your potentials um, there. Um, the statues were great. I like the statue action that gives you, like, I love that when I, I can put a piece on a board and now if Norm takes that action, I'm going to also get something out of it. I really do like those types of design points because it's going to kind of keep you in the game and keep kind of keep caught up. little kickback. Um, turn order... Like I said, turn order, I think, would be more important in three- and four-player games. Um, you still get, in a two-player game, you get to do what you want. Mm-hmm. Okay? You, like you're, like, uh, like with there's Jen no missing take, out. Yeah. Yeah. There's always plenty of opportunity to do a any, any one of the six actions. Like, you're not locked out of one of those actions. Uh, okay. So, what, what am I going to do with this one is that I'm just going to probably <laughs> stick this one on the middle shelf for right now. Um, I do enjoy the quote unquote Euroness of yeah. this game, but um, as of right now, in the la- it, it's in last place along the other Tassini games because I own Zolkin, Teotihuacan, I also own Trismegistus, which I'm probably going to talk about in a in a future. This one, I don't know. I think I feel I'd rather play those other ones above this one. Okay. If I had, if I had the choice, I, I would I would pick those ones. I don't feel like I need to play this game more, but I do need to play this at those other player counts just to make my final my my final final verdict about this one. All right, um, I got I've a question. Well, sell it. I, I got. I'm, oh, I was just, yeah, just say, I got a question for you. Are you hanging on to this because it's part of the set? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I feel guilty saying that, but kind no, of. No, but that's the thing about the hobby, right? Sometimes you collect it. Like I got yeah. staring at a Martin Wallace shelf here, right? But like, but like, my final point here is that I was spoiled up at this point because the other like Zolkin and Teotihuacan, they they were great two player games. Like even though they played more, they still felt really good at two players. And this one was meh. So, okay. Um, yeah, I was so I was really hyped to get this game, and I was kind of disappointed that it felt. But maybe this is just one of those designs, like. Hey, it does play two player, but that's not the optimal yeah. player count for this one. Yeah, it could but totally but that's be that's a, those other ones too. Like Teotihuacan plays great at two, but I would much rather play that at a full player count. But it still plays great. So okay, so there's um, some more was, exploring to do, right? Is that yeah. What you're so when so when we get out of when we get out of COVID <laughs> times, uh, I want to play this with um, more 
more people. Cool. Just so I can make that final that that for the final decision. A lot of people were talking about this was like they're going to be their game of the year. Like this is the game of 2020. And oh, my my conjecture is not there. Not there yet. So, that was Tekenu. Obelisk of the Sun. Well, we have reached that part of the show where it's the uh, it's the end of the show. And um, we are very thankful that you have made it this far with us. And uh, any parting words, you guys? Keep on rocking in the food world. <laughs> and doot, 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 doot. We're going to have to pay royalties if we keep this up. <laughs> Uh, well, so thank you, you very much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll increase our viewership. Um, uh, I've been your host, Norm. I've been Ryan. I'm Ian, and we'll catch you later. This has been an episode of Cardboard Conjecture, and we are Bridge City Board Gamers. And you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Board Gamers Saskatoon. You can find us on YouTube, Bridge City Board Gamers. We are also on Twitter, at BC Board Gamers. And of course, Board Game Geek, Guild number 3039.